Our scripture this morning is found in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. If you turn there in your Bibles with me, and if you don't have your own Bible, raise your hand or ushers will bring a Bible that you can use throughout our service this morning. We'll be reading from verse 11 through verse 23 of Colossians chapter 1. Let's all stand in respect then to the reading of God's holy word. Verse 11, we start in the middle of Paul's prayer for the saints at Colossae, where he says, May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. May God give us understanding in this portion of scripture that is read and will be preaching from as our text this morning. If you would, please remain standing with me as we join in the time of prayer. And then after prayer, a choir will come with a song. And then after their song, the preaching of God's word this morning. So let's bow in a moment of prayer. Father, we thank you for allowing us to be here today. A day we can wake up and see the sun shining. A day we can meet together, recognizing this is the day that you have made. And we rejoice. We're glad in it. We're glad that we can come together in fellowship and, and worship here on Sunday morning, here in this building that we have set aside as a meeting place for your people. We have set aside for your word to go out, to, to be heard, to be preached, to be taught, to be lived. We pray for your power in living that word and in proclaiming that word, that your power will go out amongst us, Lord, so that we can accomplish you can accomplish through us 
through your word all that you desire to accomplish. May we be willing and useful servants for your, for your sake. We're thankful this morning, Lord, to, to have my father here today. We thank you, Lord, for your watching over him and keeping him and giving him uh, the strength and the, um, the uh, wellness of, of mind, the desire to even be here today. We thank you for my mom and taking care of her and, and um, allowing her to, to be a help uh, to him and to minister to him. We just thank you and pray, Lord, that you just continue to watch over, to bless them, to keep them. We pray for others, Lord, who are just in need of your prayers for sickness and health. Um, we do pray for Heidi as she gets ready to deliver the baby, that you'll just watch over and be with her. We thank you for your blessing of of jobs that you've given to your people here and for those who continue to look for jobs that you will just open doors for them. Uh, we do pray for um, um, for Savannah and, and uh, for Dwayne as they have traveled to uh, uh, to the East Coast to Washington DC for a family member that you will watch over be with them. Victoria as she travels with them and little Larry as he goes we just pray for their protection and uh, their safe trip, Lord. And so we, we thank you uh, for all these things that, that we have to, to bring to you, knowing, Lord, that you are mighty God, that you love us, you care for us, and that you will accomplish your will through us. And so we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. I hope you listen to the words of that song. It's a very appropriate song for the text that we'll be going through this morning. As we look at how wonderful Jesus is. We've mentioned that in our study in Colossians that it's a very Christ-centered study. And that doesn't seem odd to us because when we think of the Bible, we think of Christ as being centered or the center focus of all of scripture. But what happens in scripture is that all scripture is focused on Christ, but we get a slightly different view and picture of Christ. And that's why it's so good for us to study the word of God. Normally, you know, when a person comes to know Christ, they have some favorite scriptures that, that they, they, they enjoy, and nothing wrong with that. Don't, don't get me wrong. God's word is rich and it's full. What happens is we become familiar with certain passages, and we tend to stick with those things that we are familiar with, and those things are great. But what we need to do is take a, a, a total picture and get the whole package of what Scripture gives us. And so what Scripture does is from the Old Testament all the way from Genesis all the way through Revelation, it gives us the picture of Christ. And so when we focus only on one area, we miss the panoramic view. We, we miss that, that grand view of Christ that we get from the whole collection. So it's good for us to study as we do here and, and we go through different series and different books and take in that picture that Scripture wants us to have of the Lord Jesus and who he is. The title then of this message is, Who is this Jesus? 
who is this Jesus? As Paul begins to write this letter, um, uh, we, we know that he's writing from prison. He's writing to a group of believers that um, he did not uh, start this church. Uh, others have started it. We mentioned that in, in our introduction to uh, Colossians, and, and we see his interaction. But we see what he's excited about. He's excited about their faith and how it shows itself in some real ways. Last week, we, we looked at that, how, how real their faith is. Their faith was shown in their love for each other. And their faithfulness is, is seen in that. And Paul then begins to pray for them, or he writes his prayer in this letter. And, and so we started in on that. And in his prayer, he begins to give thanks to God for who God is. And so notice in verse 11 where we started reading, Colossians chapter 1, verse 11, he says this, May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. To get my notes to behave. Stop turning off. There we go. Maybe they'll stay on this time. He says, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Giving thanks to the Father. Now, he mentions God the Father there. Giving thanks to God the Father. And he, he recognizes what God has done. Notice what he says. Giving thanks to God the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance in the saints. In the inheritance of the saints in light. He, that's God the Father, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. So he tells us what God the Father has done for us. He's delivered us, he says, from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. That's a key phrase when he says he's delivered us from the domain of darkness. What is the, the domain of darkness? Well, a domain is a place of where someone reigns. All right? When you open my front door and walk in, guess what? You stepping into my house, right? That's my domain, right? If I don't want you to smoke there, you ain't going to smoke there, right? Right? If I want you to take shoes off when you come in, you're going to take shoes off when you come in. That's not really important uh, to me, especially now. Uh, but the fact is, it's my domain. Well, God has delivered us. We were sinners we were in the domain of darkness. Now, I think we're quite familiar with that. If, if, you, if you don't think you're familiar, you just remember how you got here this morning. You drove in your car, right? And for me, I had to drive down 35th Street, and I call that the domain of darkness. <laughs> you just drive by a couple times, you understand what I'm talking about. It's people speeding by. It's funny to me, as I drive down the domain of darkness, people never go slow. When they are going slow, I know what they're doing. Watching their phones. It's like, 
what's so important on your phone that you're risking my life for? That's the domain of darkness. See, they, they live by different rules. We live in a domain of darkness. So living in Milwaukee, you, you know all about this domain. God has transferred us from this domain. A couple days ago, I had my, my motorcycle in the shop, and um, I decided to go pick it up. And I didn't want to, well, Donna was busy. She had, to, she had to go to work. So I decided to get on the city bus. <laughs> I hadn't ridden on the city bus in so long. I got there, and I looked up on the internet and how to pay my fare and what I was going to need to do. And, and I got there, and I paid, and I asked her for a transfer. She looked at me like I was crazy, this bus driver. You ain't rode in the bus a long time, have you? I said, no, ma'am, I haven't. We won't get transfers no more. You got to have a blue card, and they, 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 they will electronically uh, give you credit on that blue card to get on the next bus. Well, I didn't know that, so I got on the bus, and I well, how am I going to get on the next bus? I need to transfer over to the place I'm going to. See, I'm going here, but that ain't my final destination. I need to get transferred to catch another bus to get where I'm finally going. So well, you just going to have to pay again. Oh, my goodness. Thank God we've been transferred <laughs> over to the domain, from the domain of darkness. See, you ain't going to get stuck nowhere where you can't get out. We're transferred. God has made it possible for us to get out of this domain. That's why people are acting crazy. They, they think they, they're trapped here, and they are, unless you're saved. See, I can, I can ride through with confidence with a smile on my face because I ain't trapped here. This ain't my place. This ain't where I'm staying. I ain't staying here. I've been transferred from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his son. Now, that tells me the first thing I need to know about Jesus is that he's spoken of as being, as having a kingdom, Right? And God says in this verse that we've been transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son. That means that God the Father is king and his son is inheriting this rule over this kingdom. And so he, he is stated then as the owner of this kingdom. And this is a kingdom such that it has power over the domain of darkness. So when you walk around and you see all the foolishness around you, you need to know that in Christ, he is the one that has a kingdom that overrules all of this nonsense that's going on. It's, he's overpowered it. The kingdom means that, so, so there's several things that we're going to get about Christ in this thing. I said that, that Colossians, this letter, is very Christ-centered. Notice how he starts speaking about God, and then he begins to, to, to just narrow in on some very specifics about the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he says that we've been transferred by God into the kingdom of his son. He begins to tell us several things about Jesus that we need to know. This is important because people today act like everybody in all religions are the same and they, they may not sound the same, use different terminology, but they're all heading to the same place and that's just not true. Don't be tricked, don't be fooled by that. 
what he says here, what the Bible says here, it emphasizes the significance and importance of the Lord Jesus Christ. Judaism won't emphasize that. Islam will not emphasize that. Buddhists won't emphasize that. The cults won't emphasize the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to notice how significant, how full, and how important he is because he is central to our salvation. Without Jesus, we have absolutely nothing. And when I say we, I mean we, not only those who trust in Jesus, but everybody else. So if you have a God that you believe in that doesn't emphasize and recognize who Jesus is, as he's going to point out here, you're following the wrong you're following the wrong God. You're following a, a, a false religion. Look what he says. He says, first of all, that who is this Jesus? He's the ruler of a kingdom. He's a ruler of the kingdom. He says, we've been transferred into the kingdom of this beloved son, of, of God's beloved son. So Jesus is, is, is stated here as a ruler of a kingdom. That's significant and that's important to me because I recognize as I see all the nonsense around me that Jesus is in control and his kingdom rules over every other kingdom. We're going to see that more and more as we go through our passage today. Secondly, we see him as the beloved son. Beloved son. The beloved son of who? He's the beloved son of God the Father who's spoken of here as the king who has a, has a son under him who's coming to, to take over all that the king has. You see, in earthly terms, when a human king reigns, he has supreme power. And that power is going to be transferred because a human king can't live forever. A human king lives for a certain amount of time, and then he gets old, he transfers all his power to the next one in line. And that next one in line is first and foremost related to him. If he has a son that is able, that's the one in line. It says here that this king, now this king is not human, he's God the Father, but what he says is, I'm letting you know who will rule with me. He's my beloved son. See, if you thought you could be king and you weren't the son, you were hoping that the king and his son weren't on good terms. And maybe you can get in and, 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 and kind of get your way in with this king and work your favor up and, 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 and hopefully he will pass down the inheritance to you. But God lets you know that ain't going to happen. This is my beloved son. He is going to rule in my place. He's the beloved son. In verse 14, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. In whom is very important because it refers to not God the Father. It refers to the beloved son, the one who has this kingdom. Redemption, then, is said to be placed 
in him. Now, why is that important? Why do I say not God the Father? It, it, it's not that, that, that we are dismissing what God the Father, his role is, but it's important for those of us to understand that Jesus is the one that brings redemption. In other words, if you have a religion or a so-called faith that ignores Jesus as part of this equation, you're not preaching what the Bible preaches. The Bible preaches that it is through Jesus we have our redemption and forgiveness of sin. There is no forgiveness of sin outside of what comes through Jesus, his death on the cross. He says redemption means that he has, he has uh, uh, paid for and, 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 and made the value for us. He has paid for our, for our salvation. It's not uh, uh, cheap. <laughs> it doesn't come cheap. Christ paid for that with his own blood. And because Christ has died on a cross for those who trust in him, we, our sins are forgiven. That means when I stand before God, I can stand before him with confidence. Now, that's a huge thing. <laughs> I will tremble, in essence, at his presence because of how great he is, but I will be confident that I, that, that he is for me and not against me. And not because I, I'm able to point out all the great things that I've done. Nobody's going to be able to do that with confidence. But because of the great things that Jesus has done, I can stand with confidence before God. Can you say that today? Can you, do you know <laughs> that in order to stand before God with confidence, you have to be trusting in Jesus and the redemption and the forgiveness of sins that he provides. How great then is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus? Continue on in verse 14, it says, or excuse me, verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. That's quite a picture in itself. We understand image. In the video age, way past the television age, in the video age, everything is, is based on what it is that we can see, right? We say, if, if I can see it, it's real. If I can see it, it's real. That, that's the world that we live in. It's saying here that Jesus is the image of what and who we cannot see. <laughs> the Gospel in John, John chapter 1 says, no man has seen God the Father at any time. And so Jesus then gives us the image of the God that we cannot see. Isn't that good that God made himself so that we could relate to him as a human being? I, I enjoy the catechisms that we're going through in Sunday school, and it's so significant. Brian was teaching today this 100%, 100%. It is so significant and so true. Jesus is 100% God. He is 100% man, he, and, and he is both at the same time. He is unique in that. No one else like him. Jesus became a man so that we could see and know and relate to God. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the seeing, he is that which can be seen, who is totally God, to represent that which we cannot see. 
God is spirit, and, and we can't see him. And so there's this distance that we have from him. But Jesus actually lived on this earth. He was born as a man and lived, and, and, and lived in a physical body just like you and me. Yet he's way more than just that. He is God himself. He says he's the image of the invisible God. I like, I need to turn to John chapter 1. I referred to it, but there's a couple things you need to cover there in John chapter 1. In verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. So it makes no mistake that this, whoever this Word refers to, this Word is the very God himself. Then it tells us very clearly who this Word is in verse 14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word became flesh. Became flesh means that he took on a human body. In the Greek, it actually means he pitched his tent. And that's significant because if you know Old Testament tech, uh, terminology, you understand that, that God made his presence known by the, 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 the tabernacle. Okay, Later on, the temple in the Old Testament, God would associate his presence with those things. He's saying now God pitched his tent a human body so that he could make his presence known here on earth through this very Jesus. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The glory as of the only son from the father. This word only, the Greek word is monogenes. Mono means one or only. Genes is what we get from generation, or it means a, 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 a life. And so, you know, in our old King James Version, it was translated begotten, but that's a poor translation of this word. It means only, in other words, he is the unique, he is the one and only, the unique son. There's no other son like him. Genes actually means kind like, like uh, 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 the, the species, okay, a kind. He is the one kind, one of a kind is what it's saying. Jesus is one of a kind. There's none other like him. He is the one and only. What, what, what's confusing about begotten is we get this sense of that, that, that he, uh, somehow you can confuse that with created. Jesus was not created. We'll talk more about that. He is one of a kind son related to God the Father in that unique way. So it says here, the only son from the Father. Now, not only in the sense of there are no others, because those of us who trust in Christ are called the children of God or the sons of God, but Jesus is the Son of God in such a unique way as none other is. He's one of a kind. Going back then to our text in Colossians chapter 1, tells us about Jesus, <clears throat> the firstborn of all creation. The firstborn of all creation, verse 15. Now this word firstborn needs some further investigation. 
Because we, we think of him again, we can confuse that with being born or with being created. And in fact, Jesus was not created. Jesus did not start his existence as a baby uh, 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 from uh, uh, Virgin Mary. He did not start in his existence there. John 1 tells us that he is eternal. So he never ceased to be. It never was a time when he wasn't there, just as the same as God the Father. He is eternal. Now, that, I know that blows our mind, but the truth of it, we just have to hold on to. That's what Scripture tells us. So what does this firstborn mean, or what is he trying to teach us from this term, firstborn of all creation? He's not the first created of all creation because he's not created. He's eternal. He is God. Firstborn has to do with his rights and privileges. See, a firstborn child has certain rights and privileges that other children didn't have. And so he is above all others in their place and rank and rights and privileges. In other words, he's above all of creation because of his rights and privileges that he has as God himself. So it says then that he is the firstborn of all creation. Now this term is used in other places. Let's take a look at it. <clears throat> in Psalm 89, can you turn there with me? Psalm 89. It speaks of David here. Verse 19, I'll, I'll go through a few verses here, so bear with me. Verse 19 of Psalm 89. Of old you spoke in a vision to your godly one and said, I've granted help to the one who is mighty. I've exalted one chosen from the people. I found David my servant. With my holy oil I have anointed him so that my hand shall be established with him. My arm also shall strengthen him. So here's the psalmist talking about David and what's peculiar and special about David. And what you'll notice about the psalmist, as, as he begins to talk about David, some of these things are like, wow, David can't be all this, right? It goes beyond David. David then becomes a picture for the Lord Jesus Christ himself. In fact, that's exactly what he is. He is a, 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 a model or a picture for Jesus. And, and take a look at that verse again. Of old, you, verse 19, you spoke in a vision to your godly one and said, now he's talking about David, but that applies even more so to Jesus, doesn't it? I have granted help to the one who is mighty. I've exalted one chosen from, from, from the people. I have found David my servant with my holy oil. I've anointed him so that my hand shall be established with him. My arm also shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not outwit him. The wicked shall not humble him. I will crush his foes before him. I will strike down those who hate him. My faithfulness and my steadfast love shall be with him. And in my name shall his horn be exalted. I will set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers. He shall cry to me, you are my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. Listen, verse 27. And I will make him the firstborn. David wasn't even the first king of Israel. 
But here it says, I will make him the firstborn. In what sense? The highest of the kings of the earth. You see that? Firstborn means first place. It refers then not to just being born, but the rank and position, the rights and the privileges that that person has. And the saying of David, and it's speaking even more so the picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is spoken of the, as the firstborn. The, and then it explains the highest of the kings of the earth. So that term firstborn has to do with the highest of the king. That's why Revelation can say what? He is king of kings and lord of lords. Firstborn refers to that same thing. Not that he was created, but that he ranks highest and above all else. Who is this Jesus? Verse 15, he's the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all the creation. He's highest and above all creation. He goes on in more explanation. Look at, for by him, verse 16, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. So there's several things here. First of all, that he is firstborn of all creation because he is Lord of all creation. He is the creator himself. He was not created. False teaching tells, uh, kind of speaks or emphasizes that he is not the created one. He is God himself eternal. He is above. He is the creator. John 1 tells us that. John 1, 3. All things were made by him and was not, without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus is the creator. He's above all of creation. Notice what it says here. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Now, that's, that's a key phrase. Thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Look, he's not talking about earthly things here. He is talking about the spiritual realm of where angels live and exist. These, these, these terms speak of angelic rank. It doesn't say what rank is what, but it tells us in terms that speak of their, their rank. When he says thrones and dominions or rulers or authorities. I want to show you a couple of the verses that bring that out. Because <clears throat> what he's doing here is he's saying this Jesus is the creator, and he stands above and in control over everything. See, we live in a world, we live in a messed up world. <clears throat> my wife works, it's interesting. My wife works in the hospital. My daughter works in the hospital. My, one of my sons works as a police officer. They see some of the most messed up things in this life. And it's hard not, from, from, a, from a Christian point of view, it's hard not to attribute a lot of the nonsense that we see to something past the physical that we see. Jeremy can tell me stories of how you dealt with people that, that, that have strength beyond their size and weight. Hard for three men to hold them down. He said, Well, what is that? He said, Well, that's drugs. Well, it's something more than drugs as well. 
there's the spirits. In other words, there's the demonic world that's existing that we don't quite understand because we can't see. So he talks about visible and invisible. He's talking about the spiritual world as well. When he's talking about in, in earth and in heaven, he's talking about a spiritual realm. He's talking about thrones and dominions and rulers and authorities. He's talking about there's a lot of stuff going on out there that, that we can't see and it's more powerful than we can imagine, but... Jesus is over all of that. You know, when Jesus walked the earth, you know, we saw him interacting with demons and we see them shrieking away and running from him. He would declare his power over them and tell them what to do. And they do it. He has power over all of that. I want to tell you something. I've never had a problem with demonic Demons and demonic things. You know why? Because I'm in Christ. That's the simple truth of it. I am in Christ. The psalmist can say like I can say today, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. I live in the same world that everybody else lives in, but because Christ lives in me. And if you're a believer, you can say the same thing. Because Christ lives in you. He has dominion. He's the ruler of his kingdom. Those other powers, they got nothing on him. So I walk with confidence in him. Not because I have some spiritual might or spiritual power. It's all about him. He lives in me. And every one of his believers. So, you know, a lot of people are paying psychiatrists. They're paying for drugs to, to get their mind right or actually to forget all the stuff that they interact with. What they need is Jesus, who's the ruler. God has transferred us from the, from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his son. You need to part, be a part of that kingdom. You'll find that Satan then has little impact on you. Satan is real. And yes, I face him every day. I face temptation every day. But what I don't see is his intimidation into my life, into my eternity. My state is secure in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I rest, I can sleep at night. I rest confidently in that. Nobody can take that away from me. Only thing people here can do is bring me quicker to rest in Jesus. So he says, he uses these terms for, 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 for good reason. He wants us to have confidence in this Jesus. And I said I was going to point out a couple of verses. Let's take a look. Remember Colossians and Ephesians written at the same time. And they have some very um, parallel type statements. In Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12, excuse me, Ephesians chapter, am I right? Yeah, Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12. You, you, you're familiar with this. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Right? He says our struggle is not with the physical and the physical world. Our struggle is with what we can't see. He says we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against, notice how he puts it, rulers, authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. He said that's a mouthful. What he's describing there is the demonic rule 
that tries to exert its power and its influence over human beings and over human affairs. And what he's saying is, that's when you're resting up against that, you need something a little more powerful than drugs, amen? You need God himself. So he uses the same phrase in Colossians that this is what Jesus has dominion over. It's not the doctor that you need help from. It's not the psychiatrist that you need another prescription from. You need the power of Jesus in your life. In Colossians chapter 1, we've looked at this verse 13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. The domain of darkness. He's talking about a spiritual domain there. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, he says this, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world. That word elemental spirits of the world it has that same reference to demonic influence. Oh, look what he's saying. Through philosophy, empty deceit, human tradition, all those things are impacted by demonic influences. And he says, don't let someone get, take you and overpower you or, 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 or knock you off track in those things. So this elemental spirits, again, refers to this the demonic or, or, or the angelic world. He isn't finished there. In verse 10, Colossians 2.10, you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Again, he points out that Jesus is the head of all rule and authority. He, he is combating this, this thing that this other world has more power than God has. He said, no, 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 that's just not true. Jesus is in control and supreme over all of that. In fact, he's the only one that we can say that about. Well, he doesn't finish talking about it there. In, in verse 15 of Colossians 2, he says this. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. Now, what, is, what rulers and authorities are, is he talking about? He's not talking about the Jewish rulers and the Roman authorities because when they came to arrest Jesus for his crucifixion, it's Peter who pulled out his sword and said, Lord, I got you. And he went to swinging, right? And, and he actually cut off one of the soldiers' arms, um, excuse me, cut off one of his ears. And, and, and Jesus said, hold on, Peter. I don't need that. I don't need the sword. Basically, he's saying, Peter, your sword ain't big enough. I need a little bit more power. In fact, he healed that same man's ear. So, look, if, if he had disarmed the rulers and authorities of his day, he wouldn't have allowed them to come and carry him away and to crucify him. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the disarming of authorities that he did. Listen, not only when he went to the cross, but when he rose from the dead and Satan had no more pull on him. He defeated Satan himself. So this rule and authority has reference to the demonic uh, beings and their influence and how he has power over that. 
He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. This is what God has done through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't finish there. In verse 20 of Colossians 2, he says, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, Again, that word elemental spirits, he's talking about Satan's power, his reign, and his influence. You died to that. In other words, they can't touch you now. When you're in Christ, they cannot impact you anymore. Now, yes, they can influence in certain ways. They can make our life uh, miserable. They, they still control people around us and some of the things around us. But they cannot impact our spiritual being. Our spiritual well-being is secure in the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to know that. And so he admonishes them in that verse 20. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits. In other words, you're like a dead person. They can't hurt you anymore when you're in Christ. So these references show us that Christ is supreme over all of these things. Going back to our text in Colossians chapter 1, verse 17. At the end of verse 16, one more point. All things were created through him and for him. He is the creator of all things, and he is, here it is, the goal of all creation. It says all things were created for him. All things were created for, in other words, he's Lord over everything. Everything has been created for him. Now, someone asked, what about demons? Were they created for him? Did Jesus create demons? Listen, he didn't, did not create evil. He did not create evil beings. He created good, and they defected and decided to do their own thing, and they became evil. The Bible tells us more about that and, and, and their role in that. But he created all things for his glory and for his benefit and for his good. He's in control of all things. He is the goal of all things. You know what? You and I were created for his good and for his benefit. And we will find our best when we slot ourselves in with that. When we find, when, when we recognize that God has a purpose for me and it fits in with his purpose, his will, instead of trying to go my way. I remember from the time I was in high school, people would ask, you know, what do you want to do? What do you, what do you, what do you plan on doing with your life? They, they acted as if, you know, everybody should just decide on their own what they want to do and then just go and carry that out. But as I've learned and as I've grown and now I sit here as 58 years old, I recognize that, hey, what I needed to do is ask God, what do you have for me? As I begin to do that, he begins to unfold his purpose and his will for me because he has made me for his glory and for his purpose. Everybody is going to, in some way, bring about God's glory and God's purpose. Even the wicked and the evil for his glory and purpose. Philippians tells us every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess. It's not going to be for their good. They're simply going to be made to acknowledge Christ for who he is, even though they'll spend eternity in hell. They're going to, they're going to be saying, yep, that's right. Mm -hmm. He is who he said he was. They're going to be made to bow down and acknowledge that. We have a benefit of having a relationship with him 
and acknowledge him for who he is. Who is this Jesus? In verse 17, it says, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the sustainer of his creation. We have some foolish scientists today that tend to think that something or somehow or somehow by accident things came into existence and by that same mystic accidental sense they continue. That is so stupid. I, I wonder why they pay so much for their degree to, 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 to get to that level of understanding. Jesus created all things and he sustains all things. It means he holds it all together by his power and by his command. The word of God makes that simply, uh, 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 um, it makes us aware of that, that simple truth. Verse 18, he's the head of the body. He's the sustainer, sustainer of his creation. He's the head of the people of God. Again, this is another way of saying, look, if you plan to be a part of God's, of God's family, of God's unit, there's only one way to do that, and that is through the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the head of God's people. Don't be fooled by any other religion or any other thing that would tell you otherwise. It's Jesus Christ who is central to all that God is doing and all that God will do and all that God will accomplish. He's the head of the people of God. In verse 18, we see a phrase again. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That again, that term firstborn from the dead. It simply means that he is the first to rise from the dead. He's the first of many to rise from the dead. Now you'll say, well, there's other people who have been have come back to life before Jesus. In fact, Jesus himself healed some people and brought them back to life. But Jesus is the first to be, uh, to, 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 to rise from the dead in this sense. All of those who, who were brought back to life had to experience death again. In other words, they weren't brought back to life to never die again. In Acts chapter uh, 12, I believe it is, we were studying on Wednesday, we can see the, the young, we saw, saw the woman, her name was Dorcas, and, and she uh, was a, a great um, saint. She had helped many people, and that she had died, and it was, it was um, Peter who came and, and uh, brought her back to life, and she, she, was, she was dead, she was brought back to life. But there's nothing in the text or in history that says she's still living today. Because she isn't. She had to die again, a, a natural death as everybody else did. Jesus himself was the first to die, to be brought back to live, to never die again. Why is he the first? Because he sets the example. He is the model for all who will come after him. So it says here, he's the first born from the dead. He is the one. He's the first to rise from the dead, the first of many. Look at Acts chapter 26, verse 23. Um, look at that very briefly. Acts 26, 23 says this. That the Christ must suffer and that 
by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. Other texts tell us that he is the first fruit. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 tells us that Jesus is the first fruit. First fruit means he's a sample of the first of the crops from the first harvest. And the first fruit indicates the nature and the quality of the rest of the crops. He's the first of the harvest. And so Jesus is the first to rise from the dead, indicate what we're going to be like when we see how he is. And the Bible teaches us a little bit about his resurrection and, and how he um, showed himself to his disciples after that resurrection, what kind of a being, what kind of individual, what kind of features that he had. And it gives us an example of what we're going to be like. In verse 18 of our text now, as I close, he, he says this thing. end of verse 18, that in everything he might be preeminent. Preeminent means superior and surpassing all others. He's distinguished. One of, the, one of the dictionaries said he's peerless. I like that term. To have a peer is to have an equal. If you work on a job and somebody has the same uh, qualifications, same uh, 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 title as you, they are your peer group. You work alongside them. They're not your supervisor over you. They're not people who work for you, but they are on your same level. It says of Jesus, he has nobody on his level. <laughs> he is peerless. There's none on his level. And in fact, one, one person said it this way. You can say this of God, and you, God the Father, and God the Son as well. We see something every day that God the Father has never seen. We see something every day that God the Son has never seen. We see our equal. We see our peers. When I look at you, I see another human being on equal uh, uh, standing with me. But God never sees his equal. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit have no equals. They are above all others. He is preeminent. He is superior. He is above all. Who is this Jesus? It's amazing to me that Paul spends this time in this letter to write about Jesus Christ. Not about God the Father. It's not that, that this isn't true of God the Father, but he makes a point that it is this Jesus who God has placed to, to purchase uh, provide our redemption and our forgiveness of our sins. It is this Jesus that the Bible portrays. And so the Bible from all of these different sides and these different angles gives us a picture of Jesus. What are we to do with this Jesus? We are to trust in him. We are to recognize that, that our salvation is secure in this one who has won our salvation. We are to worship him. We ought to meditate on him. As you leave this place, I pray that you'll read over these few verses again and, and just kind of let that sink into you as you worship God the Father, as you worship God the Son for who he is and what he's done for us. Your trust belongs in Jesus. With Jesus, he is all sufficient for our salvation. There is none else. Besides him, there's no need for any else 
apart from him. Father, we thank you for this great Jesus. We thank you for all that he is and all that he has done. We thank you, Lord, that we've been put into his kingdom, that he rules over everything, spiritual and physical. He's above all of his creation because he created it all. It answers to him. So we glory in that, Lord. And we pray, Lord, if there's anyone here today that doesn't know Christ as their Lord and as their Savior, hasn't trusted in the forgiveness that comes only through what he's done on the cross, they today would pause. They today would think. They would take this all in. They would they would declare their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Don't forget, ladies, up front.